It's Derek Jeter's last home game and your iPhone bends. But that doesn't matter, folks, because this is where the money is. Energy edition, so what does sports and technology matter, right? Yeah, exactly. Who cares? <laughs> okay. Energy is the only thing that matters. Yeah, all we care about is flexible oil and natural gas pipelines. Sounds right? good to me. All right. Starting off, been some recent volatility to start off September, especially for the oil and gas companies. Uh, you look at the Dow as of yesterday's close, up 0.65%. Not too shabby. Um, but then you look at the energy sector. I'm going to go with ETF so we can kind of get a broad generalization here. Their energy select ETF from Spider down 6.5% this month so far. Then you look a little bit deeper, oil and gas services companies hammered 9.5% and EMP is down 10%. So not a very good month for energy. Um, unfortunately, that's a little bit of my portfolio since I cover it. Um, but you know, what gives? So we're looking at oil prices the lowest since July of last year. Um, we're looking at the OPEC lowering expectations of future demand, mainly to due to China. Plentiful supply, thanks to us. And then even with Russia and ISIS, oil stocks still aren't having that traditional volatility that you see with Middle East disruption. And with Russia, we didn't even see any price spikes a couple months ago. So I'm looking at this wondering, are they ever going to recover? What, what are your thoughts on some of the sectors that are getting hurt the most? Well, one of the sectors that I find fascinating through all of this actually is like the offshore get, mm-hmm. uh, uh, offshore rig companies, right. you know, people that actually own the rigs and rent them out. Um, even, even they're actually probably having one of the worst cases of right now because not only are we starting to see oil prices decline so people are getting skittish about capital spending, mm-hmm. but we also have seen like over the past couple of years this massive influx of new rigs coming online. Right. So we have this glut of, of rigs and a lot of the companies with the older rigs aren't ready to let go of them yet. <laughs> and so you've got, you know, day rates are falling for everybody and you've seen a lot of really good companies in this space, you know, your sea drills, your transoceans that have nice, good fleets of rigs that are going to be ready to go in five, ten years from mm-hmm. now, selling at a severe discount. I know uh, as a shareholder in sea drill, I've been watching this one a lot, people are probably worried about that dividend yield getting yeah. dropped because of you know, it's high dividend yield. Um, and that's one of the biggest reasons there's dropping. But, you know, as a shareholder, I'm actually a little confident on this one. So we'll wait and see. But that, that is certainly the sector that has really interested me the most when looking at this right now. Yeah, it seems like a couple of weeks ago, everyone was talking about 2014 being slow, 2015 possibly being slow. That's a little too near term for me, near, a little too nearsighted for me. I'm an ENSCO shareholder, so we've got almost uh, all the big ones covered there between us. Uh, Transocean, the other, but they have a pretty old fleet compared to Ensco and Cedro. So reasonably, they're getting hurt a little bit. They're also shelving a lot of rigs. Um, so I think what, what's happening with them, because since they're the biggest, is having a lot of flow through effect. But you're right; if capital expenditures dry up because of low energy prices, then these companies are certainly going to be hurt a little bit. Given that offshore oil is traditionally the most expensive to to explore for and then to produce, so. Mm. Um, I don't like the down 10%, but it could be a good buying opportunity because there is a big future here for offshore oil. Mm. And especially the services companies, there's less risk because you're not out there drilling, hoping to find oil. Energy services companies traditionally get called for the most spending when they find oil and then it's time to produce. So it's a great sector to look at if you're looking to invest in energy right now. Then we move on to oil producers. They were down a little bit, but what we want to talk about now is debt levels for these companies. And if oil prices drop, this becomes especially precarious. I saw an article uh, noting from the EIA that at the end of March of this year, they surveyed 127 global companies. Or they didn't survey them, they reviewed them. So they didn't 
they got answers from everybody because they just looked at their, their filings. And net debt rose by $106 billion amongst these 127 companies. Huge budgets. Like you mentioned, some of these have big dividends to maintain. Um, they need high oil prices. OPEC needs over 100 barrels, essentially. Some producers in the United States need 100, but most of them need 85 to $90 a barrel. So there's a floor there. If it, if it reaches that level, we're going to see some producers pull back. Um, is it wise to take advantage of these low rates like they think they might have uh, as far as taking on debt? Because these projects are so expensive, is this time for cheap capital, and should we be too worried about these debt levels? Um, one of the things that, you know, when we say cheap capital, one thing that we need to be very, very hesitant about when we say that is, yes, somebody that has a AAA grade rating has a great interest rate. However, if you're looking at a lot of companies right now, especially American exploration production companies, everybody's euphoric about what's going mm-hmm. on with the shale revolution and things like that. So they are taking on immense amount of uh, debt, and it is really ugly-looking <laughs> debt, too. Um, so of all the uh, exploration production companies that are listed on the major U.S. exchanges right now, uh, it, 41 of them, uh, according to a recent article in Bloomberg, have debt level uh, debt ratings below investment grade. And several of them are even getting down into that really scary like triple C sort yeah. of rating. So you're already looking at a 9-10% you know, interest rate mm-hmm. on their bonds. So if you're looking at it that sort of way, you're like, yeah, that's really not that great of an interest rate. That's not that's cheap. Pretty high hurdle rate yeah, that's right not there, cheap yeah. capital in any way. And what's even more troubling, especially for these American companies, I, I just did a, a quick survey on S, uh, S&P this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, of all the E&Ps listed on the, uh, the major U.S. exchanges right now, only 13 of them are actually covering their capital expenditures with operational cash flow today. Not a good sign. On the other hand, 35 of them are covering less than half. <laughs> so you're getting a lot of people that are just juicing themselves mm-hmm. up with debt. And, you know, some will be able to grow into this debt but some definitely will not. And like you said, the biggest fear is if prices drop, a lot of these people are going to be exposed by this mm-hmm. debt and could get into a lot of trouble. So I think one of the big investor takeaways from this is, you know, you need, I think people need to be much more selective about their investments in this space right now. You don't necessarily need to stay away from it, but really start looking at the companies who have a good balance sheet, mm-hmm. the ones that are actually generating cash. I think some of these speculative plays are starting to get more and more dangerous by the day. Yeah, you look at this and you wonder how many people are actually going to the Aubrey McClendon School of Thought with all this debt. It wasn't too long ago that natural gas producers just got destroyed in the markets because natural gas prices plummeted. They all went out, took on tons of debt, land grab for a couple of years. Then when the prices fell down into the low single digits, everyone got, got crushed. So hope it doesn't happen to oil producers, but it's certainly something that you want to, that you want to keep an eye on if oil prices continue on this, this uh, downward trajectory. Yeah. So I guess we should move on. And since uh, we would be remiss since this week, uh, there's been a lot of talk about climate change. Mm-hmm. We have the UN Climate Change Summit going on. And there was also a really interesting uh, article in the New York Times that said that the Rockefeller Charitable Trust, the people that built Standard <laughs> Oil, the, the, the kind of the, the pillar of, the pillar companies, of yeah. American oil, is divesting their charitable trust from fossil fuels. It's kind of a, a you know, kind of a watershed moment. Yeah, more symbolic. Talk about endowments else. doing that, but for them to do it, it's, yeah. a, it's a much bigger deal. Yeah, it's a very symbolic thing, and so I, this is really on a lot of people's minds. And you know, a lot of people are going to have different views and how to react to it. But you know, we both invest quite a bit in energy mm-hmm. because we're 
in it all That's the time. You know, we study yeah. it. We invest in what we know. So I just want to kind of get your opinion. Like when you are investing in the energy space today, mm-hmm. you know, how much is climate change actually influencing your decisions or what, it, in, what is your kind of high level theory on investing in energy right now? Well, right now, you know, I'm looking at, that's why I hinted earlier about services companies being a little less risky than, than production companies, um, because they get in there, they get the job done, and then they're out, their, their risk is, is mitigated there. So as oil starts to, to, starts to decline on the production side, I'm staying away from producers for the most part. I don't know if I even own any in my portfolio, if I think about it. I own several services companies and, and um, Chenier Energy. That's my big play on exportation. Um, so I've owned, them. Well for I've, you, I've owned them for a little year. while, thankfully. Um, but then, you know, looking at climate change, Solar City, I had to get into that. It's, it makes my stomach churn if I look at the stock chart, um, just so the ups and downs like a roller coaster. But um, I know that fossil fuels aren't going to last forever. Is climate change, is global warming a real thing? I have my doubts that it's as serious as people say. It could just be the natural occurrence. Uh, obviously, we are polluting the world, but not to the same degree per, per capita that we were in the in the early part of this century or of last century. Um, regardless of that, though, if it's real or not, it got the ball rolling. Right now, wind is becoming more competitive. Solar is competitive. Um, once people get these battery storage units online, that's going to be a huge boost for renewable energy. You've got clean energy fuels changing the landscape with the, um, helping build out the natural gas infrastructure. So if global warming is real, that's, that's not that great for humanity. But if it isn't, it got, at least it got the ball rolling and got subsidies for these companies so that now they're competitive with oil. So um, it's tough for me to get into some of these stocks early because they are um, in these nascent stages. You're going to have some winners and some really big losers. But I think that the general movement is headed in that direction. So um, whether or not you pull the trigger on some of these companies right now um, is a different story. But you want to keep your eye on them for, for the foreseeable future because that's the next big step in my mind. Yeah, and you know, kind of on that too, I, I like to bring that this to like a personal level because a lot of people we talk about, oh, you need to invest in alternative yeah. or don't worry about it, you invest in fossil fuels. I like to bring it down to a personal level when I think about this and, you know, especially like, say, just talking casually with mm-hmm. friends and get on a subject like this. I'll say, use an example of Tesla or some other type of electric vehicle. You know, a lot of people will say it's a wonderful product. They think it's great. You know, it's a, it's a way that we can reduce carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. And then I say, okay, why don't you go buy one today? Yeah. And then it starts to become more personal. You know, they look at it and go, oh, you know, I'm not in the financial position to do it right now, or you know, maybe there are some limitations to the technology Certainly. that doesn't affect them. And that is, can, can go across every, every sector. Mm-hmm. Businesses, you know, that is kind of a way that you can look at the entire space right now. It is a, a very optimistic. Uh, I think there's a lot of momentum going towards alternative. I, am, I do have some alternative energy okay. investments. I actually own Solar City as well. <laughs> and I'm very optimistic that we can figure out the issues that we have, you know, battery storage, mm-hmm. some of that intermittent issues that we have. But at the same time, I think there is still a lot of room left Oh, yeah, totally, under, totally agree you know, with that. That Warren Buffett sort of mantra, there's still a few puffs less left on that cigar, mm-hmm. and especially with the energy demand that's going to be required uh, in the developing world between now and the next couple decades, satisfying it alone yeah. with alternative energy just doesn't look at it, you know, doesn't look feasible. Yeah, traditional fossil fuel energy is still a very long-term investment in my mind. I don't mean to slight that at all. It's, 
our generation is still going to see cars being fueled by oil, I mean, for the vast majority of them, in my mind. And one of the other advantages I think like you and I have, or one of the, I guess, theses, you know, as younger people, our investment time horizon is going to be much, much longer Mm -hmm. than, you know, say somebody who's probably approaching Social Security time, right, in four to five years. So, you know, perhaps the way that we're looking at this could be very different from from others. Fair enough. One cool thing I did see about this, you know, I was looking, um, L.A., they're trying to power it all by wind, supposedly. Um, they're going to use salt caverns in Utah, and they're going to fill them with water to dissolve the salt so that they'll just be empty chambers. Fill them with compressed air so that when the wind turbines that they're going to use to power LA aren't being powered, or if there's uh, a lot of demand, they're just going to use that compressed air to spin turbines underground. So they're really thinking outside the box here. Um, not every area of the country has these massive salt caverns. Uh, I think they said each of them, there's four of them, each of them is as big as the Empire State Building. That so. is pretty cool. Actually, <laughs> it's a pretty it. sweet technology I mean, it's really if you want to look it up. Yeah, I mean, that's nothing that you can invest in right now, but it's just something I thought science making headway. And if our listeners and viewers want to, want to go Google LA powered by wind, there's some pretty cool stories out there yeah. about the direction that we could head one day. So that's it for today. For Tyler, I'm Taylor. Full on.